and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like I'm living in the upside down from Stranger Things, you know, like what was right before is now wrong and what was wrong before is now right. And I'm really confused. Uh, and so I've been trying to figure things out and I've been going down huge rabbit holes. Uh, and if you guys don't know what a rabbit hole is, it, it, you just um, start researching stuff and start following leads. And from one piece of Google research, you will find another piece that will lead you somewhere else that will lead you somewhere else. And you start putting all these puzzle pieces together. And it's pretty wild uh, what you find out and what comes together. And some may call this uh, metaphysical in a way. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about metaphysics. And what is metaphysics? It's the study of the fundamental nature of reality and the existence itself. Meta means beyond or transcending. So metaphysical means that which lies beyond, underlies or transcends the physical realm, world or reality. And that's where we got to go to make sense of our world today, because our 3D world absolutely doesn't make any sense. At least to me, it doesn't. Um, some of the most popular historical metaphysicians have been Aristotle, Descartes, Newton, Voltaire, Emily du Chalet, and of course, Florence Nightingale. So on today's program, I have special guest, Kim Carter. She is a nurse and she's also a metaphysician. She has her master's in metaphysics and she will help enlighten us on what is going on. It should be a very fun discussion and I hope you guys will listen until the end. But first, a word from our sponsor. sequels. Some of them are good. Most of them are bad. But on the Sequels Revenge podcast, we're here to celebrate all things sequels. Host John Coulomb and Bill Posley bring on a guest to talk about their favorite movies, and then we pitch a sequel to it. It's a sequel that nobody asked for, but one that we'd like to see. Then we go away, write the first five pages to the sequel, bring in a table of actors to read it. So if any of this sounds appealing to you, you should download Sequels Revenge podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play stores. And welcome to the show, Kim Carter. Hi. Awesome. Thanks for being here today. This is going to be a really fun show. Um, and I just want to talk about how we met because we met on Facebook. We did. And this is so awesome to have you here. And you were being trolled. That's oh how I found you. You were on a Facebook site. Um, you were being trolled. Uh, by these nurses like they were being bullies and they and and they were like and she's a metaphysician oh like they were calling you a witch um i mean i don't know if that's how they said it but the way it was written that's how i'm interpreting it was said yes. and so then i went and i looked on your facebook site and i was like oh okay she's a metaphysician that's cool and so i started looking at, at what a metaphysician was and those 
women are kind of idiots because Florence Nightingale was a metaphysician. I mean, all these amazing people like uh, Bacon was a, a physician, Francis, uh, Francis Bacon was a physician, uh, Descartes was a, a metaphysician, um, Voltaire was a metaphysician, and on and on. All these great philosophers of our time were metaphysicians. Right. So, so tell us about yourself and, and what a metaphysician is. We'll start from there. So, okay, so I choose to go by Kim Carter in this life, and I have chosen the profession of a nurse. I'm not sure exactly why I chose that profession. However, that was the route that it took. <laughs> um, I, I became interested in metaphysics, I think, completely by accident because it was like, I think it was divine guidance, honestly. Um, I was experiencing such um, a discord between my core spiritual beliefs about the health and human body and what it's capable of achieving on its own versus what I was being told to do in my profession, right? So I'm going to work and I'm in the hospital at this point and I'm passing medications to my patients and I'm handing them sometimes two little cupfuls of pills that were almost overflowing, you know? And yeah. I mean, when we're, when we're taught in nursing school about polypharmacy, I don't think we really understand the, the depth of this polypharmacy. And, you know, when every medication that we have lists different side effects from those medications, and then we are piling on more and more and more of those medications, I mean, it equated to me and my soul as here, here's your poison. Yeah, that's that's what it felt like to me that I was doing. And at the time, I had just gotten out of nursing school, and I was on the floor for ex almost exactly one year to the day when my plantar fascia ruptured. And wow. yeah, so I had to go out on medical leave, and it was like excruciating to my soul to know that I had to go back to work after my three days off. Like it was just the most God awful feeling I had ever had inside of me ever before. And so when my plantar fascia ruptured, it was like divine guidance stepping in and saying, okay, you're not doing this anymore because you can't walk. You cannot do this anymore. So I was out on medical leave for two and a half years trying to get my foot to heal and trying to figure out what exactly was wrong with it. Because, you know, most medical professionals say, oh, well, with plantar fasciitis, if you have surgery, they just cut the plantar fascia anyway. That's the way that they do it. You know, so if it's ruptured, then you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You can walk. You can go back to work. Well, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk for more than 30 minutes without being in excruciating pain. And so I just went on the hunt trying to find doctors that would be willing to listen to what was happening, why I was feeling the pain that I was feeling. And nobody would listen. I actually had one doctor, one out of nine doctors tell me that it was all in my head. It was psychosomatic. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, all right, this is not happening. This is not this is not in my head. I'm seeing the evidence in my foot. It was swollen so bad. It was black and blue every time I tried to walk. And it was just so much pain that it, it was just unreal. I knew there was something wrong, but I just had to find somebody willing to hear me out. Well, I ended up finding um, a naturopath that saw me. And I don't know if you know much about naturopath and their physicians and how they treat, but this particular naturopath, she used all of the different modalities. Like she used homeopathy, she used um, herbs, she used diet and all of like 
she would do labs if she felt like she needed to do labs, but she just sat there and listened to me and they will look at you with the way that you come into the office, how you sit, your physique, your posture, the way that you express yourself. They hear everything that you say and then they think about what it is you're trying to express to them as a result of what's going on really inside of you, right? So they'll take that information and treat you. And that's exactly what she did. She gave me this remedy that I think was kind of ironic. It's called carcinosin, which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's giving me a remedy that's based off of uh, cancer, you know, and whatever it was, the effect that it had on me was unreal. Like it triggered the awakening inside of me, like nothing else ever had. And it was, um, like there had been like little, little spots along the road of my life, you know, that, you know, would cause me to question things and start digging into some information. But it was after that appointment with her that my life just spun out of control. And, you know, my, my body started to heal. Finally, my foot started to heal. I was able to go back to work, but in that time off, I ended up going to school to get my bachelor's in alternative medicine. Oh, and awesome. yeah, so here I am learning about systems of medicine that are three and 4,000 years old. And I'm sitting here questioning, why is our medical system debunking these medical systems Right. when they're so old? Like there's a reason for their longevity, but yet we don't want to look at any of them as though they're factual and have evidence-based practice because they don't understand it. Like, and that's what it boiled down to, to me was, okay, so simply because you don't understand it means that you don't want to use it because you can't explain it. You know, our science is all about the explanation and all about the hardcore facts, you know? Yeah, the peer-reviewed research. At, right. You can't look at somebody and say, I'm going to heal you energetically and then your body's going to follow suit. Right. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, so after I got that degree, I started looking into like different I was like down down different rabbit holes of like conspiracy theories oh yeah I was like it was so weird because um it seemed like none of these paths had anything to do with anything you know like conspiracy theories and then I was into like um Greg Braden science and geography and spirituality and awakening and I'm like in that path and then I'm into aliens and like <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah everywhere so then um so then I just kind of stumbled upon metaphysics and it was just like, okay, wait a minute. Like it felt like all of my, all of my upbringing, everything that I had been taught about God and religion and spirituality was like tearing me apart inside. Like something wasn't matching, something didn't fit and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was learning about um, at that time I was learning about the law of attraction. I had come across accidentally yeah. an Abraham Hicks video about money because my ex-husband and I were in like financial, huge financial distress. And I was on YouTube in my hole and I came across one of Abraham Hicks's, um, clips about money and she just cracked me up and I'm sitting there listening to her and the way that she spoke felt so good to me. It was just like, there was something inside of me that heard what she was saying. And so then I started researching her, like, who is Abraham Hicks? Like, what is Abraham? And then I just kind of ended up down that rabbit hole. And then I started learning about the secret and I watched the secret. And then it was just like, okay, there's something more than just the secret. There's something beyond, beyond the secret. It goes deeper than this. What is it? And so I started digging and then it was just like, oh my gosh, 
oh my gosh, that, wow. yeah. that is like, <laughs> I did there. I, I know those rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. So then it was like the pool of that, like when I was a teenager, I had, you know, I had delved into the occult, into magic, tried to cast money spells and all that stuff, you know, it never worked yeah. for me, but that's where I had gone. But then when I realized, oh my gosh, magic, magic is science. Magic is everything. It's yes. everything that we've yes. been told is bad. It is wrong. And it's, and it's real. And oh my gosh, we just have to get our minds to understand it. The science yeah. part of it. Once you understand the science part of it and how our brains shape everything, uh, then it all amazing. just came together and it was beautiful for me, you know? So that's how I ended up in metaphysics. And then because my, my conflict with the whole God thing was like on the rocks, like a lot, a large part of metaphysics is about understanding that we are God in the physical, you know, that we have the ability to speak not only to God, but as God, because that's who we are in this physical experience. And so it was like, it took me all the way through my bachelor's program through metaphysics before I finally connected it. Like my brain was trying to disconnect every time it said God in the, in the lessons. Yeah. It's like, your programming. Your program yeah. was breaking down. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I was in cognitive dissonance a lot through that program. Yeah, yeah. And then after I finished it, all of a sudden I was an ordained metaphysical minister. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's awesome. So, so yeah, so then I ended up finishing up my master's in, um, as, as a metaphysician. And it became a so cool. life coach. And um, now I'm fluctuating between this constant awakened state and this being pulled into the physical reality like every five minutes and I'm like constantly trying to remind myself wake up wake up yeah I have an alarm set on my phone so that it goes off every three hours is this real are you awake are you dreaming like that's so cool yeah it's like sometimes, I, and I've said this before on the podcast, I really feel that we are living in a dystopian comedy. Yes. Mine is a dystopian comedy because I just have to laugh at a lot of the stuff that people do say, what's going on in the world. I'm just like, are you for real? You know, it, it, it's just like, are you awake? Are you conscious? And the the fact of the matter is majority of the people around today are not conscious. They're, they're, they're working on their subconscious programs. And the media has done a fine job putting people to sleep and programming people. You know, you watch television and that is a television program. You know, I went out with a guy the other day and he was quoting movie quotes, like every other word. And I was like, uh, do you have anything that's yours? Right, you were all programmed. Yeah, and I was like, you know, that's cool and funny, but when you're two hours into the conversation, you're like, uh, is there any anything authentic about you? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, it was all movie quotes. You know, Uh, it was a little bit much, but yeah, it's all fascinating. Uh, Very similar to my own awakening, you know, and the rabbit holes that I went into. And again, when I was a teenager, you know. I used to do tarot, I used to do readings for my friends, and it was so amazing how accurate they were. Yes. And, and, and I've gone through these waxing and waning periods uh, within the last 20 years of my life where I've been awake and I've been asleep, and, and now 
you know, and I went, went through hypnotherapy, which really helped my awakening. It really uh, helped me to be conscious and to see the patterns that I was creating in life, you yes. know, and, and um, how uh, through coincidences, how we could and how we have the power to bring into being what is in our subconscious and what is in our conscious mind together, you know, whether that be a good thing, whether that be a bad thing. You know, and if you just stop and look at your life and you can see your own creation, you know, we are all creators. We are all creative beings and stuff. Absolutely. So, so it is very fascinating with everything that's going on. People are just not aware. People are just so used to being told what to do. And what to think. And what to think. And, and instead of, you know, you go to the doctor and it's almost like the doctors are spellcasters. Yes. You know? And, and um, I am going to have a, a witch on the show for our Halloween episode. Nice. Yeah. Do you have one? I do. He owns a shop here in Burbank. That's awesome. Cash. And he's been on many podcasts. He's kind of a celebrity. Uh-huh. Uh, super awesome. I went to go talk to him the other day. So he is coming on. So we're going to be talking about spellcasting. You know, okay. how people, we cast spells on people all the time. You tell something, someone something, and if that's in their subconscious programming, it will trigger them. Yes. Okay, so you've just cast a spell on someone. Yep. When you read a book that is spell casting, when you go, like I said, when you go to the doctor and they go, Red oh, you word. have cancer, you have cancer. Well, people now, he's cast a death spell on this person yes. because per that physician, and per however they were taught or however they practice, well, now they're saying that this is you. And if you believe it, well, he's just cast. You take on that identity. You've, right. You've you allowed take, that very to merge. Good. Very yes. good. And this is what I teach in my storytelling classes. We're very much, we teach about identity and especially like your name. Your name identifies you, you know, whether right. you like it or not. If you don't like your name, you're going through life with this negative complex, this negative identity right from birth. Right. Isn't it so crazy? Yep. And that's why I think I introduced myself the way that I did, where I have chosen to go by Kim Carter in this life. You know, I, love I, had, that. To, I had I had to disassociate that identity that I've attached to my soul because that's just this experience. That's not who I am. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and I think you bring up a good point because as nurses, this is one of the biggest problems uh, nurses had. And I, I had someone come into my class. Um, I was teaching a pitch to publish class and she comes in and, and she's a nurse practitioner. She goes, well, you know, going from nurse to nurse practitioner, well, now we're more professional and I have to have a professional voice and I have to speak a certain way. So she was trying to find her voice and I just started laughing at her, yeah. you know, and I was just like, just be yourself, you know? And I remember I was going through that when I started teaching uh, many years ago and I, I, was teaching from the uh, from my subconscious programming of what I thought a teacher was instead of right. just being myself. Right. You know? And I would get called into the principal's office all the time. <laughs> and, and I was told that my, my students didn't like me. I was very intimidating and, and all this stuff. But and one of my friends pointed out, he's like, Oh, you're, you're just not being yourself. Cause he came to one of my lectures. He's like, you're not, that's not you, you know? And that switched, you know, that was one of my first awakenings where I was like, you know what, that's right. I need to be me. Right. Where, where, and, and as soon as I started being myself and who I truly am, things started to shift. So uh, it, it was pretty wild. But I, but I think a lot of people, 
how do people find themselves? I, I mean, with this, because with everything that's going on in this shift of reality and the shift of consciousness that we are going through, people need to get connected with self. So yes. as a metaphysician, what would you suggest people do? I think the first start that anybody has to, to come to grips with in, in connecting with self is to first unlearn the programming, recognize first that the programming is there, that they've been programmed and is designed to program them from cradle to grave. Like they have to recognize and see that programming first and then they actually have to be silent, you know, cut off the TV, cut off the radio, sit by yourself and allow your mind to run. And if you can be an observer of your thoughts, you can hear how much convoluted mess you have inside of your own brain. Right. You know, and once you can identify what are your thoughts versus somebody else's thoughts, then you're going to be able to better distinguish self versus non-self. And what's interesting to me, have you ever read um, any of Eckhart Tolle's work? Yeah. Yeah. I, I read him a long time ago. Right. So, you know how he had said that the thing that triggered his awakening was that statement that went through his mind, I can't stand myself. Well, who's the I and who is the my? Why is there a difference between the two? It's almost like there's another person or another being inside of me that my brain has, has distinguished, but yet which one is which? Who is the I and who is the my? The my myself, who is that? You know, and the other part is, you know, begin to journal. You know, even if you don't feel like you have anything to say in that journal, allow allow those thoughts a voice on paper so that you can see what's happening inside of your mind. Because that programming, it's on autopilot. And it just keeps running. And it's that little voice inside of your head that is so destructive. You know, one of the one of the biggest things I think that I did for me to connect to me was looking in the mirror at myself and making direct eye contact with myself and allowing me to speak straight to that inner child that was curled up in a ball, terrified in a corner of a dark room, you know? Yes. Yes. Connecting with that part of me that I had neglected for many, many years, you know, making eye contact with myself, saying how much I loved me, saying that I was never going to leave me because I think we all have the same core fundamental fears, right? We have the same because we're all one. And since we're all one, having those same core wounds that we have to learn to heal, to overcome, to learn the lesson in is ultimately what we're here for. And that lesson, the end part of that is coming back to love, coming back into Christ consciousness and understanding that we're here for a reason to come back into love, to merge back into oneness. You know, we're all individuals initially because we think we're individuals, but it's the transition and learning that you connect with yourself, then you're going to be able to better connect with others. So I think that's the start. And this is so important too, with what's going on with nursing right now, because on these Facebook forums, I see so many new nurses coming in, whether they're going through nursing school, talking about how anxious they are and and how scared they are and how hard it is. And yeah, nursing school is really hard, you know, but I think that, you know, when I went to nursing school, it was hard, but I did have a lot of fun. You know, I did really enjoy what I was learning and I was really um, 
just very uh, wide-eyed at the time and very excited, I, I can say, about everything that I was learning. But I don't hear this from these forums. I just hear it's fear, it's anxiety. And I'm just like, what's going on there? But I don't think it has to do anything with the schooling. I really think it has to do with the self. You know, as time has evolved, like I went to nursing school uh, in the early 90s, okay, like, um, 94, 95, that's when I started. Uh, and, um, you know, it's been an evolutionary process. But back then, um, I don't know, I always felt free to be myself and to enjoy things. And I don't think these people have a good sense of self who are complaining of these things. I feel that the more disconnected from self you are, the more anxiety you will have. Do you agree? You agree with that and you know the anxiety you know how is it described when you're in anxiety you are either living in the past or you're projecting into a future time that doesn't exist and so when you have that core when you have that core fundamental fear of failure right you are projecting that into a future time that you're a failure and so then you're doing everything that you can in the present to try to maintain the status quo that you're not a failure and that you're going to be, be a success as soon as you're done with nursing school. So we push everything out into a future time that doesn't exist. I'll be a success when, right? And so right. then yes. all yes. that anxiety like kind of piles on inside of you, the fear of failing, the fear of getting kicked out of nursing school. This is what you've told everybody you're going to do. So you have like built this story up in your mind and then you project everything out into a future time instead of living in this moment. Right, yes. right, right. And yeah. I think for me, like when I went to nursing school, I always tried to live in the present because I was right. very excited. And I don't think this is what these people are doing. These people want to no. be done with nursing school. They want to already be working. You know, they don't want to enjoy nursing school. You know, and I, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, another thing I heard nurses say, again, are, are the anxiety, having social anxiety when they're with patients. Like they're like, oh, I'm an introvert. And this patient was want asking me questions or they start talking to me about their story and I don't have time for them. I have to go and take care of these people. And I just was like, whoa, wait a minute, what? I mean, I, I get it. People can get into their stories and stuff, but then you have to understand to, um, I, I don't know, there's a finesse between really listening to your patient, being present, and then being like, okay, that's great. I'll come back and listen to your story later or you know, are kind of cutting it off somehow, but they were just like, yeah, I don't have time to listen to their stories. Like you're, you're treating this person now that is in this hospital bed who is vulnerable as just a cog. Well, this, it's is because, where we're at. this is where we're at now. Yeah. And, and that's one of my, that is one of my biggest pet peeves because it used to be the nursing profession was one of the most revered professions out there. Right. So we were right. the ones that they looked up to because that's what they wanted to become because they had a good nurse that was at their bedside that did everything that they could. They prayed for them. They listened to them. Yes. They, shared, they shared stories and experiences. I used to give massages to yes. my patients back yes. in the day, and I really enjoyed that. You know, yes. I learned from my teacher how to give massages. I would go and ask my patients, would you like a massage? And they would be like, yes, thank you. And it, it, and they're like, that made me feel so good, you know? Yes. And that's part of my job, you right. know? Nobody, I'm sure nobody even touches patients now. I don't even know. I do. What I, do. I actually gave one of mine a massage the other day. That's awesome. You know, but, 
but that's the other thing too, is that the nurses that are in these forums, these nurses are not in there because they have a compassionate bone in their body. They're in there for the money. Yeah, they're in there for the money. And that that's really great. I mean, with me in clinic, because I, uh, I see pediatrics as a pediatric nurse practitioner, I love to sit there and listen to my patient's stories. I mean, especially the kids that Oh my gosh, if I could get a, a four-year-old who's precocious and who could tell me amazing stories about their life, it's awesome. I love it. That's the funnest part of my job, you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's great. And it helps me to be a creator because I can see what's going on in their lives and I can take it and I can write an article about it to help more people or do a podcast about it to help more people, you know. Uh, so it, it's one of the things that I absolutely love uh to do and and it's very sad that these nurses are not being taught that you know they're going into it for the money which is the wrong reasons you know yes. uh, i remember when i went to nursing school like i said well over 20 years ago my teacher said are you going to be doing this for the money you might as well go into real estate which is very true right because you know, it is a hard job to do it for the money because then we're hearing oh i'm so burnt out yeah because you're not in it you're disconnected from right. self, yep. right? Yep. You know, and it's fine. Go take vacation, get connected with yourself and then come back. You feel like a different person. You, you know, do. I take many breaks. I do many different things and it's because I want to love my job. I want to love what I do. Right. You know, and and come see, back every day. Many times that I have been in a place where I have, I have been just this close. Like I've actually sat down and thought about how much money I would need in tips to just go back to go back to waiting tables and get out of the nursing field <laughs> altogether. Because yeah. it's just, it has gotten me to the point, not because I hate what I do, but because of the politics yes. I'm about that prevents me from being able to be a good nurse. You know, the politics have destroyed healthcare completely all the way around. Okay. And and it's so frustrating to me because you know, I am one of those nurses that I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen to you. And if you ask me a question about your medication, I'm going to tell you the truth about your medication. Yeah, me too. Right. You know, you know, but then when you go back on the flip side of that, when you were talking about how, you know, students are now brainwashed and we're, we're casting spells on people, you know, I have to be very careful about the words that I use because yes. people as though I'm an authority figure and anything that I say to them with conviction is now going to become a part of their programming. So That's I have to be true. careful about the things that I say. And I wish that other people understood the power of our words and how much influence as a healthcare provider, how much influence that brings with it, you know, and when you have people that have been brainwashed in the medical field, telling people that they can only fight a cancer or a chronic disease with a pill or X, Y, and Z therapy, and that's the only way they're going to live, you know, you're brainwashing them into believing right there that there's no hope for them. It's very as, true. As soon as they lose, lose hope, as soon as that one spark is done, their brain stops trying to fight because once the brain accepts an outcome, the body will follow suit. How quickly have, have you seen cancer patients that had no knowledge of being consumed with cancer and were just fine until the doctor told them and within a month they were gone? They were dead, yeah. 
done within a very short period of time. And it's because when we don't have the knowledge of something going on inside of our body, our brain cannot attach to that story, nor can it attach to the identity of that story. You know, and that's the part of metaphysics that I absolutely love the connection to because whenever you identify with a state of being, it becomes who you are. And, you know, when Christians are all like, don't take the Lord your God in names, name in vain, you know, like you can say, God damn this or God damn that, but they look at that as though that's taking the Lord's name in vain. No, that's not what it is. The Lord's name in vain is not goddamn. The Lord's name in vain is connecting I am-ness to anything that is negative in connotation. When you say I am free of cancer, you're using God's name in the right way. Right. I, I think you bring up a great point because one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say I'm a cancer survivor, but then they've gotten cancer one, two, three, four times. Right. You know? and, and I'm like, that's great. You survived cancer. Let's move it forward to something else, you know, right. something more positive. Let's not attach. I'm a cancer survivor to this because yeah. again, it just becomes a hashtag. It's a meme. It's yeah. now a brand, you know, what, um, it's a programming to make money, you yes. know, and that's what people don't realize. They want to bring you back in yep. to the hospital and, and, and treat you again because right. now you are a consumer. Yes. You know, it's all in the treatments. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it, you don't make money off of the cure. You make money off right. of the treatments. It's very, right. very true. So uh, that makes us what? Symptom management specialists at our best? <laughs> Exactly. And that, that's what they want. I mean, that's what uh, a lot of people getting out of school think that we're just treating symptoms. We're not treating the whole mind body. Right. The person, you know, and um, like you mentioned before with your naturopath, I do the same thing when I'm in clinic, I watch my patients from the moment they walk in the door and I'm yep. watching them and I'm already assessing and diagnosing them, you know, yep. And I'm really getting in tune with my body and connecting with them to see what is going on. Because you can get a way bigger picture, you yep. know, than you I can. hear them and, and especially with kids. You know, I can see a kid from a mile away and be like, oh, yeah, I, I could give you a whole assessment of what is going on with them. Yeah. If they're normal, if they've got ADHD going on, if they're disconnected from their body or what have you, you know. I even have kids from all over the place coming up to me. It's like, if I'm on the beach, kids will come up to me and just sit next to me and start talking to me. I'm like, listen, I'm not working right now. <laughs> you know? Can't see you on a console, you know? Um. <laughs> so one of the things that, one of the things that I, I really love as a part of being a metaphysician is that whenever I hear something that somebody else is saying or what their experience is in their careers or whatever, I, I kind of look at them from the outside, observe and hear, right? So you work with children. You've chosen that as your profession, right? So, yes, yeah. so I look at that mirror, the mirror between you and your profession, and you have chosen to connect with little children. And so that shows your connection with your own inner child. Yes. So... I, yeah, I love that so part. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've just started doing uh, inner, inner child trauma work with people. Uh -huh. like I started with my friends. I started with a guy that I was working with last year 
because he was having massive problems um, and dealing with addictions of all kinds and, and was really lost, you know. Right. So, so that I started working thing. with him. Huh? That, ad yeah. that addiction thing, I, um, while I was finishing up my master's, um, all I have to do for my doctorate in metaphysics is to, to write my paper. I just have to do my dissertation. And my initial thought process was based off of, you know, what are we doing as professionals when it comes to spell casting on our patients, right? And I started looking in the addiction world and AA meetings and NA meetings, and they will say for life that they are an addict. Yes. I am an addict. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they've been sober for 30 years, they still call themselves an addict. So at any given point in time, they can pull that right back into their state of being because they're still identified with it. You know? And so when you, when you talk about trauma, people only use a substance when they cannot feel what's going on inside of them because they cannot confront the pain that they've experienced through their life. So they use that as a coping mechanism. Right, but people don't want to feel though. They don't want to feel. You bring up a good point. I, I uh, worked with someone a couple weeks ago and she's a brilliant uh, nurse. She's a nurse practitioner. She's brilliant. She's done all these amazing things in her, her life and she's lived all over the world. However, she doesn't want to feel. Yep. She doesn't let herself cry. She doesn't let herself be with herself, you know? And um, something that I let myself do is I let myself feel my emotions. You yes. know, when I was a child. Uh, I, I was I was brought up in the '70s, and it was all about don't show your emotions. You know, especially right. I was brought up in an Italian family, who my parents were free to show their emotions, but yet the children were not. Right. You know? So um, in clinic, isn't that around well, the time that it was the it was the start of the programming of children should be seen and not heard? Probably. Probably. And that's also around the time where emotional intelligence took a backseat. And so they forced that, you know, don't feel, don't show emotion, don't show that you're sad. You know, so it's a suppression of the emotion because through emotion is when we can connect, right? That's right. when we can figure things out, right. right? Because when we feel things and we allow ourselves to move through those emotions, then we can connect the dots. Then we can say, oh, oh, that's the reason why that happened. Because now, oh, I see now. You know, but when we don't feel and we suppress everything with, you know, antidepressants and painkillers and, you know, everything else to prevent us from feeling, then we can never move anything through anything and we can never connect the dots. It keeps us true. dumbed down as a society specifically through that by not allowing each other to feel. You bring up a good point and we're kind of living in that time of Aldous Huxley in uh what was this book called i have the book here um gosh i forget the name i can't i can't come up but in the book they use soma okay mm -hmm. so people are all popping this soma and it's keeping them in, in just a, a sleep state you know right. it's numbing them down so they can't feel they don't feel you know yep. and, and they're kind of just walking around like robots and that's what's going on today. People are just kind of walking around unconscious like robots. So I look at um, the, uh, the series, The Walking Dead. Oh, right. Right. Everybody is zombies. Like I, I laugh every time it's on and every time I go out in public and I'm just like, they don't even know that they're the dead walking. Like they right. have no or, idea. 
or invasion of the body snatchers. Yes. That is one analogy that, you know, everybody needs to watch that movie again. Right. Uh, I think the 1970s version, I was watching little clips of it, but uh, you, you know, these, these aliens from other planets come and they're, they're making clones of people, yep. you know, and these clones are just robots. You know, people think that life is nine to five. We just go to work and then we come home and watch Netflix and we're with our families. You know, yeah. we've talked about this in other episodes of this podcast before, but life is so much more. It is. You know? and, and, and when you're doing that, you're not allowing yourself, you're now not allowing yourself to experience life, to look at life and to enjoy it. You know, right. uh, life is much more than a video game. Once you get out of that cave, as Plato says, and see the light and go into that. Uh, is it is it more than a video game or is it really a video game? Right. Are we in a simulation like <laughs> right. Elon Musk said? Right. right. You know, are we and really in a simulation? Because you can create stuff. I mean, exactly. once you start bringing the conscious and the subconscious, once you learn that and once you start seeing your creations, once yep. you start seeing the coincidences, the serendipities happening yep. in your life, it's pretty wild. Right. You know? It is. And so like I went on the, I went on the hunt for research in order to be able to explain the science behind, you know, the secret and all of that. And, you know, it led me down the, the quantum physics path. Oh and, yes, me too, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yep. So I'm yeah. like, and it was the strangest thing ever because, you know, my ex-husband at the time was in school and he was coming home. He was in a physics class and he was coming home talking all kinds of physics. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you're saying to me. Right. Like I, <laughs> I have no idea. Well, when when I'm starting in this hole, I woke up one morning and I had this like pretty clear, basic understanding of quantum physics. And I'm like, what the hell? So then I'm having a conversation with my ex-husband and I'm telling him everything I learned. And he's looking at me like, I have no idea what you're saying to me. <laughs> it was like a complete right. role reversal. It was hysterical, you know, but it all does. It all connects together. And when we're able to when you look at the, the consciousness, the humanity's consciousness, all being a part of the same consciousness, we have agreed to certain realities. And right, because yes. we are carrying that agreed upon reality, we're all seeing the same things, you know? And, and when you look at the news projecting certain programming into the minds of collectiveness, collective consciousness, then we're all going to project that out into our reality. And so we create this doomsday prophecy of everything that's going on in our media. It's you know? so and true. So, yeah. And so when we're looking at coronavirus, right? Okay. So here it is, this coronavirus pandemic that I've known from the beginning is a bunch of crap. Well, yeah, once the czar gets up and says, <laughs> okay, everybody, stay in your homes until there's a vaccine, nobody's coming, coming out. out. That is retarded. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That, you know, I don't mean to use that word, but that is really stupid. I mean, really? Right. right. Admit, okay, let's just throw everything we learned about healthcare out the door, everything yes. we learned in school well, out the door. Got- now we, we have one disease process. We have one disease process, and nothing else matters. And we've had a vaccine for the flu now for seventy years, but yet we still have the flu. It hasn't been eradicated. Why? Why hasn't it been eradicated? Because it's a virus. It is an RNA virus that you cannot vaccinate against. And here they are changing the world with Operation Warp Speed, coming up with this vaccine for an RNA virus. We can't. <laughs> 
is right. a virus that some people just can't fight off. No different than the flu. There are people that die from the flu. 60 to 80,000 people per year, in fact, die of the flu that have these comorbidities that they just can't fight off because their immune systems are weak or because those other disease processes have their body in a state of imbalance and they just can't fight it. However, if we weren't really in a true pandemic, we wouldn't have to be told on the news that we're in a pandemic. We would be seeing bodies piled yeah, up. Yeah, we would be seeing bodies, dead bodies on the floor everywhere. everywhere. There would be war. Yes. I mean, my parents were kids when they were little children when, in World War II. And my father still has these stories on how scary it was uh -huh. to be outside. You yeah. Know? And that's not happening. It's not. The only thing that's happening is we've got dumbasses out there setting fires. It's like crazily, <laughs> so strangely. Breaking windows. These, yes, these, these fires are, are not burning trees. They're not burning trees. They're just burning homes. They have stayed within the United States boundaries. They're not crossing into Canada, and they're not crossing into Mexico somehow or another. I don't know how that's working. Right, but, right. You know, and now it's sweeping across the Midwest. And just the other day, it was so strange. But we've had massive drought all summer here in Ohio, right? Very, very little rain has hit. And so I'm outside and I'm trying to transplant this peony bush and I could barely get the shovel to go through the dirt, right? It was wow. that hard. Could barely get it to scrape off a little section of dirt so that I could transplant these peonies. And the thought went through my mind, if they're setting fires in California and they're moving west, and it has been a drought all summer long, as I'm here in Ohio, what are the chances that the entire plan is to set the entire country on fire? Oh, yeah. So that, that way, it's nothing but destruction should Trump go ahead and get reelected, which he's going to be reelected. But it's, it's going to be the purposeful, flat-out destruction of everything that we hold near and dear so that that way the rest of humanity can awaken. It's going to take this yes. in order for them to stop ignoring what's going on in our world. You know what I mean? But it's not going to come from us. It's not going to come from those of us that know what's going on. It's going to come from the BLM and Antifa people setting fires and destroying crap right. before right. other people are going to finally wake up and say, wait a minute, this is not okay. Well, it's This is not what we stand for. Because people are saying, oh, well, when coronavirus is over, we could get back to our normal lives. That's what they're thinking. Life is never going to be normal again. Life it's never going to be normal again. Life changed in 1999. I felt that shift. And yep. I started seeing people just turn weird. Like I yep. woke up, I, had a, I, had a, I went through a divorce. I had a very drastic awakening about what my life was all about. Um, I remember I was working at Disneyland. I was trying to save someone who was in the middle of a crowd having a seizure. I was there with the security guard. There was a parade that was supposed to go on. And I was trying to move all these people out of the way so I can help this person on the floor. You know, right. and I had to call paramedics in and I had to make, open up the sea of people. People were screaming at me. Hey, lady, when are you going to get out of the way? Because you're blocking my, my view to the parade. Wow. like oh my god i can't do this anymore like what is wow. going on i'm helping someone on the floor that it needs help 
for their life. Nobody cares. This happened at a show that I did in 2015 or 2016. Uh, someone who was watching my storytelling show, they fell on the floor. I went to go help them. It was a festival. I, I went next door to a crowded venue and screamed that I needed ice. Nobody flinched. I said again, someone's on the floor. I need some ice. The person had a vasovagal response. And I got the ice, came down, helped the patient. And uh, this guy came and yelled at me and said, hey, you don't have to be so rude next time. He sees me on the floor with this person helping her. Goodness sakes. So, so you know something is not right. And it, right. And it disturbed me. And at that time, I wrote this whole blog about my experiences at Disneyland and my experiences there. And I'm, something's wrong with humanity. Mm -hmm. Like, really? Yeah. You know? So it's, it's very disturbing. And we see it. You brought up a good point about the vaccine and about um, the virus and about, you know, because we had that AstraZeneca vaccine that came out um, and, and how it didn't work because um, the person had, um, uh, she, I, I think she had uh, MS or some autoimmune disease and ended up getting some spine issue uh, with it. But, um, you know, and, and so then the guy, the big head honcho of Astra came out and said, oh, well, that person had an autoimmune disease. But, but wait a minute now. So the vaccine's not going to work on people with autoimmune diseases. Is that what you're saying? But, but do you see the, the fiction in that story there? So what are we supposed to believe with that? It's very scary, you know? So, I mean, who knows what that, but you're very vocal on Facebook with a lot of, and very knowledgeable. I mean, we saw, again, we were talking about how the media entrances people. So we saw now with cuties, which I'm thinking people are waking up to that. That movie is a huge awakening to a lot of people uh, shutting down their Netflix. Cuties, the one oh, yeah. cuties with oh, the, the girls. Yeah. Um, and these girls are like 11 and 12 years old, very prepubescent, right. very tan or two stage when they're just getting their breast buds developed. Right. I, I just, I didn't see the movie, but I, I heard about it and I heard how there was close-ups to their crotches and, and their breasts. Mm -hmm. it, it just disgusted me to a key. So, so that's a, that's a huge wake up call for a lot of people because they're yes. just trying to entrain people into thinking that pedophilia is a normal thing. Well, it's interesting because last night my boyfriend and I were talking about this because, you know, I was telling him about this whole cuties thing and it infuriates me because you know, I was molested as a child. And one of the things that really kind of shined the spotlight on me needing to push the awareness of this, like not necessarily the awareness of molestation because everybody knows that children are being molested but yet we've turned a blind eye to it. We've become so numb to it that we're not willing to stand up and say, you know what? No, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be normalized. And this should be a major concern for everybody everywhere. But it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And so when I saw a clip of Oprah Winfrey talking on stage during an interview about how if you're a 12-year-old boy and somebody is stroking your penis, that's not traumatic for you. That feels good. And in fact, if the person knows what they're doing, there is no trauma in, in molestation. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking at no point, at no point ever, when my stepfather was molesting me, did I ever feel or have the thought, oh, that feels good. 
No. Instead, what I felt was a depth of shame that I couldn't ever express. I felt fear for my family, for my sisters, for my mother. I felt like I had no idea why this man that told me he loved me that I called daddy would do something like this to me. And so I grew up with this trauma. I couldn't use the word dad ever again. Like the man that I refer to as my dad now is probably one of the greatest men I have ever met in my life and everybody gets compared to him. However, I have never been able to call him dad because that name or that word has been associated with a man that traumatized me. Right. You know? So now I have this, this, everything that's coming up in me, right? Everything that's going on in the world, I'm looking at, okay, this is now, it's just a mirror. It's just a mirror showing me what's still inside of me that I still need to heal. And the fact that this is coming up so globally around the world, child molestation, child trafficking, trauma, like abuse of women. You know, I went through that too, you know? So it's like, all of this is now coming up. So that shows me that in the world, the collective pain and trauma associated with that abuse is now ready to be healed because now it's coming up in the forefront of everybody's very consciousness. It's everywhere. And because it's everywhere collectively, we're ready to heal that trauma. But last night, my boyfriend says to me, we, we even turned it on just to kind of see what it was about just for a few minutes. And within the first 10 minutes, what we could see was this little girl, this 11 year old little girl was being conditioned by other little girls that dressed sexually, that were dancing provocatively. They were, they were being, she was being conditioned to want to live that life because she felt like it was the popular way to be. She wanted to be popular and in order to be popular, she had to dress and act like that. You know, so that to me is conditioning of a child's mind. And in my research, as I started awakening and learning this stuff, I went on a dive of psychology. I needed to understand the differences between the male brain and the female brain and the differences between the adult brain and the child brain. And what I learned was that from birth to the age of six years old, our children's brain is in a constant hypnagogic trance state. They stay in that delta theta frequency where everything that they absorb becomes their conscious programming. That is what runs on autopilot in their brain. And so every authority figure, every parental figure, every role out there on TV in real life is conditioning them and programming them. And so if we're letting these TV programs condition our young children into believing that it's okay for a 40-year-old man to look at them and tell them that they're sexual or that they're beautiful and sexy and that the way that they move their body is okay and showing off their midriff and their almost their butt cheeks is okay, at what point are they going to find the line that says, Mm, maybe I shouldn't let him touch me there. Thank you. Maybe, maybe this is wrong. This doesn't feel good to me, but everybody else is saying that this is okay. So maybe I should just go ahead and allow this, you know? And so when I'm explaining this to my boyfriend last night, I'm like, this isn't about bringing awareness to a situation. This is about conditioning our young girls and our young boys that it's okay for pedophilia to exist. It's not about bringing awareness. There's plenty of awareness. What has happened is that we've become so numb to it that we're not willing to stand up for it anymore. But now it's getting to the point where parents are saying, no, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. It's not okay for pedophilia to exist. It's not okay for somebody to sit there and rub my child down. It's not okay. 
And for parents that are out there putting their young kids in this situation to audition for shows like this, shame on them. Shame right. on them because it starts at home. And if they're okay with this, then at what point when their child comes to them and say, mommy, daddy's been touching me, are they going to say, what? Hold up. Yeah. That's not happening in my house. And that's the mother that's going to be okay with their father or their husband abusing their child because they're putting their children in the situation in the first place. Right. And how and, dare that happen? And you bring up a good point about kids and uh, going up for these roles. I've worked on set as a nurse uh, and with kids and parents, they don't care. They don't care about, I mean, the ones that I've seen, they don't care about the well-being of their child. They only care about, hey, my kid's going to be a star and they're getting an opportunity. And the money, is and the money that's coming out of it. I mean, I even had a, a sick baby on set. It was a photo shoot. They were not even photographing the baby's face. They were photographing the baby's feet. And the baby seemed to me to have RSV, was choking, was coughing, uh, actually had a fever on set. And I told the mom, go ahead and take the baby home, take it to the pediatrician. She goes, well, I went to the pediatrician last week and the pediatrician said the baby was okay and I need the money. It was very wrong. And, and, you know, and I told her, well, you're kind of lucky that I'm a nurse practitioner. We'll try to get this baby well. But the, the producer was screaming at me, at me, yeah. you know, and I was like, because the baby was sick. Baby was yeah. sick and popping on set, you know, and I told the, ba the mom that it, it's only a photograph. You know, I'm sure you'll get paid whatever you need. And then, you know, you need to take this baby to the doctor you know, or to the emergency room and stuff or, and, and get checked. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty wild world. You wanted to talk a little bit about the nursing home situation that was going with COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, and do, did you go into work at, at, in New York or what was, what happened? Huh? I stayed local. I quit doing agency nursing almost four years ago. And, but I'm still a member on the boards. And when COVID started happening, um, initially I was just like, holy shit. Like I was kind of freaked out. Like I was taking this as, as a real thing yeah. for yeah. about a week, for about a week. And then after that, I started listening to everything like CDC's changes. So right now I'm currently in a nursing home facility, right? And the guidelines that CDC was putting forth were changing. Like every couple of hours in 95 masks, full PPP, PPE for everybody, you know, don't go into the rooms, don't go around them, make sure you isolate them, da, 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 da. standard procedure for airborne droplet precautions. We don't know how it spreads. So therefore let's take this, you know, to the max. Cool. Well then all of a sudden, Oh, if you don't have any PPE mask because of the shortage, it's okay to wear a surgical mask. And all of a sudden in my head it's going ding, 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 ding. Something's not right here. Right. And then barely a week later it's oh any cloth covering will do and I'm like what uh no this isn't right so then at the time my facility was if you're going into a patient's room that we suspect is COVID full PPE if you're not in a in a patient care area you're okay to not be in a mask okay well that ended very quickly then all of a sudden we all had to wear the mask the surgical mask 24 hours a day 24 hours a day while we were there, we had to keep said mask for an entire week, for an entire uh -huh. week, 
Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we had to wear it no matter where we were at, whether we were in patient care areas or not. We had to wear the mask. They shut the facility down. No family members were allowed in. We weren't allowed to have any outside sources in the facility. But yet as employees, we could clock out and go home, turn around, come back in 12 hours. What we did on our time off was totally irrelevant. We could go out in public. We could go shopping. We could go do whatever it is we wanted to do. And we were perfectly okay to come back in 12 hours. And so the wheels in my brain started spinning. <laughs> yep. There is no logic in that. There is no rationale in that. How is this okay? And um, have everybody in the medical field lost their fucking minds? Yes. Like, what is happening? Like, I'm seriously thinking that we are living in the upside down from the Stranger yes. Things. Yes. We're living in the upside We're down. And I'm just like... Down. <laughs> I'm like, I, I have, have not worn a mask. Sona t-shirt. Yep. Yeah. I have not worn a mask down. except for when I'm at work <laughs> this entire time. I go into Walmart. They've got their little table set up with their little employees sitting there. And I walk in and they say, um, do you have a mask? No. Well, we require one. Okay. And I keep on walking. <laughs> yeah. And I get my cart. And they're like, excuse me, ma'am. Here's a mask for you. Okay, thanks. And I turn and I keep on walking. And it's just like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about your mask mandate because your mandate is not a law. And my freedom does Thank not end you. where your fear begins. It's not happening. No. And so I'm now, like, it seems like I'm the only one in my state walking around without a mask on. So I feel like I'm the anomaly in everybody's dreams. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, I'm there with you, you know, and I've had people yell at me. I'm walking on the bike path <laughs> in, in open space and people are screaming at me. And I, and I, and I turn to them, I go, listen, once you've had, do you have 25 years of experience in the healthcare profession? No. Okay. Then don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know? right. Okay. Don't be Bill Gates. Okay. <laughs> don't <laughs> It was so funny. My boyfriend and I went to a store called Jungle Gems one day, and this was probably a month after this whole pandemic started, but after George Floyd was killed, right? Uh -huh. So we're going into Jungle Gems, and some lady comes out, and she's got a mask on, and she's wearing a I Can't Breathe t-shirt. And my boyfriend looks over and says, take off your mask, then you can breathe. <laughs> It was like almost 100 degrees out there. And he was just cracking me up. I'm telling you, it's a dystopian comedy. Yes. So it is. And so I'm just like, I, I go out, you know, and I go into work. And, you know, we've still, we're now, what, almost seven months into this. Seven months in. We have only just now begun starting within the last month and a half, starting to have family members coming to visit and having outside porch visits, right? Oh, since March, so since sad. March, we've lost 27 residents, not due to illness, but due, due to a failure to thrive. They've given oh up because God. now, because now we have family members that are so in fear of this virus, they won't leave their house. They'll call and talk to their loved one on the phone, but because the loved one now feels like a burden, if they come to see them because of the fear of the, giving them the virus or them giving her the virus or them the virus, right? whether it's my patient or the family, there's this fear of an exchange happening. And so because they feel like a burden, they don't want their family members to come. They refuse to let their family members to come and their brain shuts down. And again, yes. we've already talked about this. Once the brain shuts down, the body follows suit. 
because they no longer have the will to live. And before, the will to live was being able to see their family. Being able to have that connection, that human connection with their loved right. ones right. is what matters to them. You take that away, we have falsely imprisoned them. We have isolated them. We have mentally and emotionally abused them on every level by conjuring fear of a virus that doesn't even exist, that isn't going to give them a higher percentage of death than anything else in this world. And we have stripped them away from their resident rights. We have stripped them of the ability to choose. Here's the information. Oh you now get to choose whether you want to put yourself or your family members in this position or not. This is your choice. We've stripped them of that. And these orders are coming wow. from the top down. So every single person in my facility, in every nursing home across the state of Ohio, are now under these mandates. We cannot allow them to see their family. If they do have an outside porch visit, don't touch them. Do not hug them. Stay six oh feet my apart. God. This is Thank what's happening. Touch. And human touch is human so touch important. is important. Yes. And so now I'm having to sit there seeing this, watching this. This is abuse on every level. Abuse on every level for our elderly. And it's my job to advocate for them. And I can't advocate for them because the orders are coming from the top. They're right. coming from the top and my hands are tied. So until or unless I find an attorney willing to go against Governor Asshole DeWine and Ohio Department of Health and CMS for enforcing these ridiculous oh. mandates, you know, we're, we're tied. We can't do anything. And until right. there are other nurses willing to look at this idiocy and stand up with me and say, enough is enough. These are my patients. They deserve the right to choose. They deserve to have their family. They deserve to have their friends. Right. I'm not going to participate in this abuse any longer, and I'm no longer going to be complicit that's the only time it's going to stop. And until then, I have to be complicit, putting myself at risk for being sued from a family member by allowing the abuse to continue. Exactly. You bring up a, a really great point there, you know, on the choice factor. These mm -hmm. poor people have no choice and they don't even know. They you don't know. know. They're, and they're institutionalized. <laughs> so they we have, uh, already their rights are kind of like thwarted in a way. Yes. You know? I mean, my parents are, are elder. My dad's 86, my mom's 76. And the one important thing for them is uh, human contact, is having friends, is having the ability yes. to that social interaction. Out, social interaction, which that's the, the number one thing that was really hurting them. Yep. You know, my mom was having anxiety and she's like, I got it. And she's a very social person. She still runs a business. Yeah. You know, she's like, and I go, mom, just go ahead and do your thing. Just be healthy. You know, and they follow my practices and stuff like that on health and wellness and they're fine, you right. know? Uh, but I cannot imagine not having the ability of going to help my family members if they're in the hospital right? and, and being the advocate for them. You know, it's, it's a very, very scary situation. And the fact that these family members are just letting it happen and not that's fighting. what that is what burns me up more than anything yeah. is because they have bought this story hook line and sinker yes. and they're yes. letting their loved ones sit in nursing homes and die not from any illness but from a lack of a lack of love from failure to thrive yes. you know and it's just like what is happening here i don't understand this i have to care plan a person's right to fall if they choose to fall like I've had residents look at me and say, you know what? I have a right to fall if I want to. 
And I have to care plan that, but I can't care plan that they have a right to see their family member or their loved ones because they want to, even in the midst of a, of a pandemic, I have to tell them, no, you can't, you can only see them through glass and talk to them on the phone. Yeah. Like, like that's what it's come down to. Like, you're and it just, oh, it ticks me off to no end. And it's just like my, my blood boils every time I have to go into work. We started being mandated to be COVID tested every two weeks. So whether we were showing symptoms or not, we were being forcefully tested against our will. That was every, every two weeks. Well, as of Saturday this week, now we're being tested twice a week, whether we want to or not oh, wow. at the threat of our job. So at the threat of my job, I have to go into my facility twice a week to have my nose swab for something that I don't even have, you know, and when right. we were talking about this being a collective consciousness kind of thing. Okay. So when you're pushing on the media over and over and over again, these are the symptoms that you're going to get if you get this disease, mm, psychosomatic. Right. Oh, totally. Totally yeah. psychosomatic. I mean, in the beginning, my friend worked at an urgent care as a nurse practitioner and he was texting me the stories and they were hilarious. I mean, one guy's family had him go, and I think he was 19, 20 years old, had him go get tested because he was dating a Chinese female. <laughs> For that reason, he said, he goes, my parents are freaked out because I am dating a Chinese, uh, my girlfriend is Chinese. Are wow. you kidding me? Just the stories he was telling me were outrageous. And he said, it, it just like brought out all the hypochondriacs out of the woodwork. Yep. Yep. You know? Everybody was gone and, and it was just ridiculous. And here in California, they've had mass testing at Dodger Stadium. People are like, did you go get tested? And I'm like, why? Yeah. I don't yeah. have any symptoms. You know? Well, and here's, here's what it is. So I live in this little college town, right? And the students, only half of the students have come back in. So when students come every year, it's like a 23,000 increase in population in one day, right? Well, they split up the move-in date. So we've got half of the students that came in last month, and the other half is scheduled to come in this month. Well, since the first half of the students came in last month, we've had an increase in COVID numbers from maybe, I don't know, a handful, 10, 15, to over 1,000 within three days. And I'm thinking, really? Whatever yeah. happened to the 14-day incubation period? How the right. hell does that work, right? right. So, so now, because of the increase in student numbers of COVID, that's the reason why we're now being tested twice a week. Even though none of us hang around with the student population, we're working in a nursing home. My children, my eldest goes to the, to the college, but I don't even hardly see him. He lives five minutes down the road from me, and I don't even see right. my son. You know, so it's just like, okay, that, that makes zero sense whatsoever. The, um, the town of Oxford has enforced a mandatory mask mandate in town, whether you're in a store or out of the store, you're supposed to wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you're going to be fined $100. Please give me that fine. Give me that fine right now because I will have their asses in court for Right. going against my constitutional rights exactly like, I, I am not even and, and that's what that's what people don't understand is that our constitutional rights are being infringed upon absolutely I mean, we we've lived here you know i was having this discussion with my father yesterday we were talking about the politics going on here in california and how governor newsom is in bed with the gettys you know governor newsom's father was the executive the executor of the estate of one of the gettys okay mm -hmm. 
the last son that's alive that that's a billionaire. So uh, they're all in bed with each other. Governor Brown was in bed with them. Governor Brown's sister now is the governor of Oregon, and we're all on fire. You know, it's right. interesting. So they're all mano y mano. It's a family. Yep. It's like a mafia. And that's what people don't realize. And I was having this discussion with my dad. My dad's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that politics. He's like, I told someone that, and I tried to wake them up, and I tried to let them know that it's like we're being run by a mafia. And he goes, and this is what the person told me. Well, you can move out of California. So this is what the thinking see, is. But see, this isn't just this isn't just statewide, right? This is like countrywide because you're looking at um, Epstein was in bed with Lex Wessner, who is here, right here in Ohio. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got women that are parading around in freaking um, Victoria's Secret panties. Oh, yeah. That was in bed with Epstein, trafficking women all over the world. Uh, so, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what it, what is happening here? I mean, this is part of the upside down. That's crazy. Where law-abiding citizens are being fined and ticketed, but yet rioters can freely walk around and bust up and burn down shit you know like right. what is happening pedophilia is being promoted instead of right not I, it doesn't make any sense to me and so like the governor knew something well you know he is nancy pelosi's nephew that's right, right. Yes. yeah yeah so was not only that yes. yeah but not only that it's a family yeah it's a so, mafia so, it's the Gomorrah, you know, yes. and I talked about this on my last episode. It is the Gomorrah because not only, you know, you bring up a good point there. Um, you know, we had a $1.8 billion expansion of the Port of Los Angeles, right? Right. So, uh, my, my cousin uh, was here. He's a controller. He worked for a French company in New York. And we went down to the port. And he's like, wow, this is a massive port. He goes, do you want to know what's going on in this port? And I go, what? And he goes, oh, you need to read the Gomorrah. He goes by um, this author. His name is Savastano is the last name. I'm going to read a passage of it now that we're on it very quickly because I think it's very interesting. Um, the first uh, words because then we'll, we'll know what's going on at the port with this wording because um, I, I got the book and I ordered it because my cousin's all like, you got to get the book. You got to watch the movie, you know because they are transporting things here that we don't know about. And this is, yep. a, this is a real story. This is not what is going on in Los Angeles that I know of, but this is from the Gomorrah and, and um, Savastano's accounts because he infiltrated the uh, mafia in Naples, the Gomorrah mafia. So it says here, I'm gonna read this passage. The container swayed as the crane hoisted it onto the ship. The the spreader, which hooks the container to the crane, was unable to control its movement. So it seemed to flow in the air. The hatches, which had been improperly closed, suddenly sprang open and dozens of bodies started raining down. They looked like mannequins, but when they hit the ground, their heads split open as if their skulls were real. And they were men, women, even a few children, came tumbling out of the container, all dead, frozen, stacked, one on top of another, packed like sardines. These were the Chinese who never die, the eternal ones who trade identity papers among themselves. So, uh, so this is where they'd end up, the bodies that in the wildest fantasies 
might have been cooked in Chinese restaurants, buried in fields besides factories, or tossed into the mouth of the Vesuvius. Okay, so this is a passage. The so, first page. Okay, <laughs> so it's interesting also that Governor Gavin Newsom made a $356 million uh, business deal with the Chinese for masks. Huh, really? Wasn't he just, wasn't wow. he just um, brought up on charges for transporting in lots of military weapons and ammunition? Like, I saw that article a couple of months ago, I think, maybe two months ago. Yeah. But, you know, he has, he has completely destroyed California's economy. The oh, budget yeah. is completely wiped. He's been trying to get government financing and a government bailout for months now. Nancy Pelosi is trying to slip in California aid in every one of the relief packages and Trump saying no, no matter what she tries to slip by. And so now the best way for him to get government aid in order to fix his corrupt economy is to set everything on fire and declare a national <laughs> exactly. Like, emergency. Exactly. I mean, exactly. And who knows what's really coming into right. in those containers. Could they, you know what that passage reminds me of? That passage reminds me of that movie, Soylent Green. Oh, it's people. It's people. That's what our meat is. It's people. <laughs> Who knows? I've heard the, I've heard the philosophy of uh, when you eat at McDonald's, that's what it, who knows where this meat well, is. You know what? Like, you know, I started saw... looking at meat very differently. The yep. color of meat is weird. It sometimes. is. And there's times where I'll have chicken, especially Tyson chicken, where the texture is just off. Like the texture is just right. weird and I can't even eat it. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's not chicken. <laughs> yeah. It, there is a lot of high strange going on and people need to, it, it is more than ever. People need to use discernment, get connected with themselves. Yes. Ask the questions. Yes. You know, but I don't think they, I don't think they really know how to ask questions though. They don't, they don't um, because they uh, they have a feeling that they might be wrong. So if they're yep. wrong, they'll be shamed. Right. You know. And they they've you done. You can't have an opinion job. anymore. You can't have an opinion. Yep. You be wrong. You know. But the the greatest philosophers in our time, like the going back to the metaphysicians now, you mm -hmm. know, uh, which is uh, you know, like Voltaire and um, Newton and all of those great. Uh, metaphysicians, all of those great philosophers and scientists uh, of our time that have made up these amazing inventions, they had to be wrong. I mean, Edison had to be wrong how many times? Tesla yep. had to be wrong, you know, in order for all this amazing stuff to come into fruition. And yep. But, but you know, they've, our society has done such a great job of using society as a way to manipulate other people into thinking that yes. they're wrong that and shaming them once they once they believe that they're wrong, that they, that they just stop asking questions because they don't want to feel that. But that's when it's so key to get over the give a fuck of what other people think of you. <laughs> True. You know? You got to I mean, get over that. It's, it's like you got to not give a fuck. I, I mean. Absolutely. I mean, you just got to be your true self, your true identity, right. and, and, and live your life. But yep. this has been an amazing discussion, Kim. Where can people find you if they're they're looking for um, help with personal coaching? So have I, have, um, yeah. I have a Facebook page called Mindful Minutes. Um, I don't um, post on there a whole lot anymore because I've been busy with, you know, being at work at nursing and 
I opened an STNA school to help fix the, the brokenness in the nursing field. So I want to train really good STNAs so that they've got a good foundation again. Um, and then CPR, teaching people to save lives. So, um, but yeah, if they reach out to me on Mindful Minutes with any questions as far as, you know, how to fix or heal trauma or how to move forward in their life, they can send me a message on Mindful Minutes. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been such a fun discussion. It's awesome. I'd love to have you on again to talk more. Sure. Cool. All right. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. Bye.